Hello, church family, and welcome to worship at Grace Fellowship on this Palm Sunday weekend. You know, the eagle is one of my favorite creatures in God's creation. I, I think there's just something about an eagle that is so noble and majestic. They have super keen eyesight that can spot either danger or dinner, as it were, like a rodent perhaps, or, or something from far, far away. And they're amazing flyers. Eagles can attain speeds in excess of 100 miles an hour as they dive to kill their prey. And just in flying along, they can cruise along at more than 60 miles an hour while they're in flight. To me, it's breathtaking just to watch them. I mean, even when they're just sitting out on a limb chilling, uh, they can be quite impressive. By the way, this photo of a bald eagle was taken by a member of our church family just days ago, right here in the Capital District. I think it's awesome. Uh, get a look at this eagle. It's no wonder to me that our forefathers chose the bald eagle as the nation's symbol for independence. Everything about the eagle just cries out for freedom and majesty. Question, how does a baby eaglet go from being a helpless little bird in the nest to a mature, majestic eagle soaring through the sky? Ah, that's where I think we can learn a valuable lesson today for our own lives. Now get this, in describing how God leads his people and how he helped them to mature, God inspired Moses to write these words in the Bible in the book called Deuteronomy chapter 32. Listen to what God said through Moses. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. By the way, the word pinions means the outer part of the wings. The Lord alone led him. Get that. Wow. God compares his leading people to an eagle's teaching its young to fly. Now, the specific species of eagle mentioned in this passage may now be extinct, some scholars believe. We're just not sure. But we can well imagine what a puzzling and difficult experience it was for this baby eagle to learn to fly. It's a powerful illustration, really, of how God develops maturity in us. First, the mother eagle stirs up the nest. She removes the rabbit's fur and the lamb's wool and soft leaves so that only the prickly sticks remain in the nest. The once soft nest has become a bed of discomfort. The baby eagles aren't cozy in their nest anymore. It's not a comfortable place. The mother wants them to be restless, so they'll want to get out. Otherwise, they might be content to remain in the nest for a lifetime. Sometimes God stirs up our nest too. Prickly neighbors move in next door. We get a new supervisor at work that's kind of hard to get along with. 
God allows our finances to take a nosedive. God allows a dangerous virus to stymie our nation and put us in a temporary tailspin as a culture. And we become restless and quite dissatisfied. Perhaps God is preparing us to move out of our comfort zone and into a deeper experience with him. The mother eagle then hovers over her young. Perhaps she's demonstrating to them how to fly, but, but more likely she's just refusing to feed them any longer. Instead of bringing food in her beak and settling down in the nest to protect them, she just hovers over them. She is deliberately creating hunger and increased dissatisfaction on the part of the young. You see, she knows that they've got to get out of that nest and learn to hunt for themselves if they're ever going to flourish. Now, to an ignorant observer who doesn't understand eagle life, that mother may seem cruel, but she's actually being loving. The only way they'll ever flourish and be all they were designed to be is through struggle. And so she allows some pain and struggle in their lives. Does it ever seem like God is doing that with you? You pray for a soulmate, someone to invest your life in and be your lifelong companion, but your prayers seem unanswered. You pray for a job, but no job comes. You ask for a more comfortable life, but instead, God seems to not give it right away. At least your life is just as hard or even more difficult than ever. You ask God, don't you care? If God is all-powerful and loving, why would he not supply such basic desires and even needs? Now, in the passage we read, the mother eagle is described as carrying her young on her pinions and spreading abroad her wings to catch them. What a spectacular sight it must have been for the, the rider of Scripture to witness a mother eagle taking her baby on her back and soaring thousands of feet upward until she's just a tiny speck in the sky. And then, unexpectedly, she flips over, dislodging the baby eagle. The baby eagle then tumbles down, down, spastically flapping its little wings, trying to learn to fly. The mother eagle glides intently not far away, and then at the precise moment, she swoops beneath the falling eaglet and catches it on her back. She immediately starts climbing again, the baby eagle now clutching on for dear life. <laughs> Can you imagine that little eagle, eyes wide with fear, saying, is this trip really necessary? <laughs> Once the mother has climbed thousands of feet, she once again flips over, and the baby eagle once again goes awkwardly tumbling through space. And this harrowing process is repeated until the baby eaglet learns to fly on its own. And then the mother knows. She knows her mission has been accomplished. That young one, with the crucial ability to fly, can now begin to hunt for himself and flourish as he was designed. 
Now think about that. According to Deuteronomy 32, the Lord leads his people just as a mother eagle teaches her young to fly. Last week, I said that the presence of God does not mean the absence of problems. And it is so crucial that we understand that. Jesus said, as recorded in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus said, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, listen, Christians are not exempt from miscarriages, the death of a parent, dangerous viruses, automobile accidents, Financial disaster, Parkinson's disease, the divorce of family members, or any other difficulty that is common to people. We don't learn to soar without a struggle. Sometimes the bottom falls out and the believer finds herself tumbling downward, downward, wondering where God's protection and God's providence are in times like this. So my question is, how do you hold on to heaven when hell seems to be breathing down your neck? How do you, how do you spread your wings, as it were, and soar when it feels, it feels like you're tumbling out of control in a free fall? Well, in the next few minutes, I want to give you three suggestions that are rock solid and that will help you soar like an eagle in times like these. First thing I would suggest is that you pump your mind, listen now, pump your mind with truth. Facts are our friends. At times like these, we don't need pious platitudes and sentimental nonsense. We need truth. And the truth is this. The Bible makes it very clear that God will permit his people to undergo struggles in order, in order to foster maturity and help us soar in life. The Apostle Paul writes to some Christians in Thessalonica who were going through some really tough times, and he says he sent Timothy to them to strengthen and encourage them in their faith, get these words now, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well, he writes, that we were destined for them. You go, time out, come on, time out. How, pastor, can God expect us not to be unsettled by these trials? The only way I know is to pump your mind with the truth. Listen, listen. Day after day, all day long, you are bombarded with lies from the enemy. If you don't also feed your mind solid truth from God's word to combat those lies, you have no immunity whatsoever to the lies of the devil. Our medical experts are scrambling double time right now to create a vaccine for this COVID-19 scourge. God bless them. 
and may God speed their work. I hope we get a vaccine really soon. We really need it. I was curious. I looked up the definition of vaccine this week, and the Oxford Dictionary's formal definition of vaccine goes like this, and I quote, a substance used to stimulate the production of antibodies and provide immunity against one or several diseases. That's a vaccine. Something that will stimulate our own bodies to produce antibodies that will provide immunity. Christian, your vaccine against discouragement is the truth. Your vaccine against fear is the truth. Your vaccine against internal implosion is the truth. Your vaccine against despair is the truth. Your vaccine against giving up is the truth. Pump your mind with the truth. That's the way to hold on to heaven when hell is breathing down your neck. Yes, the Christian life has burdens. Satan wants to unsettle God's people. He is seeking someone to devour, Scripture says. He brings pressure today, even as he did to Job, to try to crack the faith and destroy the testimony of each and every one of us. He's working overtime, trust me on this, in the midst of these natural calamities like COVID-19. But the truth, the truth is our greatest vaccine against destruction. Most people I know are feeling that life is just tipped upside down right now. And some are grasping, grasping for anything to prevent them from smashing against the rocks of disillusionment below. So it's crucial, times like these, to remember the truth of God's promises. <laughs> A friend texted me this verse several days ago, and I really appreciated it. It's a verse I had gotten comfort from many times. It was a great reminder, Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You know, it's not what happens to us. It's how we respond to what happens to us that makes all the difference. As Tim Hansel said years ago, suffering is inevitable, but misery is optional. And according to Jesus, trouble is not an elective. It's a required course in order to graduate this life. When we're right in the middle of suffering and the pressure is on, how are we going to respond? So the first thing, pump your mind with truth. It's your vaccine against destruction. But the second thing I would suggest is don't panic. Don't panic. Anxiety and panic is the emotion du jour in our country. While our coronavirus crisis is very real and serious, and we are treating it that way, I want you to know, we can exaggerate the problem if we let fear rule. 
That's what the Israelites did. When it came time to enter the promised land, the spies came back and said, whew, the people in Canaan are giants, folks. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't stand up to them. That was the report of the 10 negative spies. You see, panic is a reaction with no redemptive outcome. People run away from their problems. They drop out of their small group. They stop fellowshipping, even online, for goodness sakes, with other believers. They even become suicidal. So please hear me today. When you are going through adversity, the worst thing, the worst thing you can do is stop fellowshipping with other believers. That's why we urge you more than ever to join with other believers online in these days. Become part of a Zoom chat. Find a group or ministry that is continuing strong online and join with them. A friend, one of our pastoral staff, sent a text to me today. I just cracked up. He said, it said, in my father's house are many Zooms. <laughs> and I just, I thought that was beautiful. Because we're all using Zoom right now. Join one of these chats. Join in on a Zoom meeting. Refusing to do so is one of the worst things you could do at a time like this. We truly need each other. Isolation can foster fear. Boy, that happened with Elijah the prophet. When Elijah was under pressure from Jezebel, he basically said, God, take my life. I'm the only prophet left in Israel. And God responded, are you kidding, dude? That's just not true, Elijah. You're panicking, man. You're exaggerating the problem. There's 7,000 prophets, Elijah, who are still faithful, who've not bowed the knee to Baal. You see, Elijah had panicked. He had allowed fear and isolation to lead him to despair. And those of you who may be filled with fear and a sense of panic right now, please, please look at me. Please, calm down. Please, calm down. Listen to me. God's got this. The God of this universe is not wringing his hands in anxiety going, wow, didn't see that coming. And because God is not panicked as his people, we don't need to be either. My final suggestion. First, pump your mind with truth. Second, please don't panic. But finally, persevere in faith. Acts chapter 14, verse 22 relates that Paul and Barnabas went from church to church to church strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And get these words, get what they said. We must go through many hardships, many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Think of that. Many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They didn't tell people that the Christian life was a cakewalk. They said it's going to be hard, folks. That's the truth. So we must learn to persevere in faith. 
when Job experienced all of his tragedies, he refused to curse God. He said, shall I receive good at the hand of God and not calamity? Though he slay me, still I will trust in him. Now, the faithful Christian admits, I don't know why God has allowed this difficulty in my life, but I still believe. I still believe he loves me. I still believe he's watching over me. I still believe that in all things, God is working for my good. And so, although I know the road will not be easy, I continue to persevere in faith. Have you ever talked with a starry-eyed young couple about to be married? (laughs) Debbie and I have counseled and talked with many of them through the years. Some are so eager to be wed. They believe it's going to be the answer for everything. They're so excited. It's going to be so wonderful. They honestly, in those moments, can't think of anything better than to be with someone they love for the rest of their lives, day in and day out. Now, if you've been married for a number of years, what do you tell them? You say, well, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be a blessing. But listen, there's probably going to be some difficulties. Don't be surprised when the romance fades and some hard days come your way. So you're going to have to hang in there when those days come. Persevere in faith. One old crusty pastor who'd been married for over 50 years made the confession. He said, sometimes I love my wife so much I can just eat her up. And sometimes the next day, I wish I had. (laughs) And that is so true for spouses who've been married a long time. Years ago, Robert Shuler wrote a book with a great title. I love the title. Life is unfair, but God is good. And he made the statement in that book. He said, people mistake the facts of life with the acts of of God. Did you get that? The facts of life with the acts of God. God is not unfair. Life is unfair. God is faithful and good. And the Christian must persevere in faith. Revelation 2 verse 10 reads, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Ah, I'll tell you in my life, few things are more inspirational than to watch a Christian who perseveres in spite of trials. Fanny Crosby was one of those people. Her life inspires me so much. She had the disability of blindness. But you know what? Fanny Crosby, instead of wallowing in self-pity, she wrote hymns, songs for the church that the church has sung for decades. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Tell me the story of Jesus. To God be the glory. Jesus is calling. I am thine, O Lord. All the way my Savior leads me, and many, many, many more. I 
sang those songs as a boy growing up. And I want to tell you, her lyrics, as I sang those songs, were like spiritual oxygen to my lungs. And when Fanny Crosby was very old, someone told her, you know, Fanny, that if you'd been born at at this particular time in history, an operation could have been performed that would have given you sight. You know her response? It was stunning. She said, I wouldn't change a thing. Do you realize the very first thing I'll ever be able to see is the face of Jesus? Wow. Fanny Crosby's response to struggle had brought a perspective. It brought a maturity that is inspiring. And here's my question to you, friend. How are you going to respond to this current crisis? Many are responding in unhealthy and even destructive ways. How are you going to respond? When you feel you're at your weakest, maybe the very moment God uses to make the greatest impact, like the little eaglet, when you feel you're falling, may just be the time you learn to fly. I went to seminary back in the 1980s in Louisville, Kentucky. And there was a legendary true story that was told in class after class. It it was well known at the seminary by the faculty and students and administration. It was about Reverend John Claypool, who ministered at the Crescent Hill Baptist Church for a number of years there in Louisville, Kentucky. And during that ministry, Dr. Claypool's young daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. And for a period, she went into remission and seemed to be perfectly normal, and everyone was encouraged and excited. Her her family was in hopes that the diagnosis had been incorrect and that she had experienced the miracle of divine healing, for which John and, and so many had been praying. And in his book, Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, which was kind of standard reading for me in seminary, Dr. Claypool related that those hopes came to an abrupt end, ironically, one Easter Sunday morning. The old pains reappeared, and his little girl went into a severe relapse that involved hospitalization for for two weeks. Most of the time, both of her eyes were swollen shut, and every part of her body was racked with pain. John Claypool reported that moving with her through those two weeks was an unspeakably draining experience. He found himself stretched in every way, physically exhausted, emotionally dissipated, spiritually challenged as never before. The worst moment came one night, he said, when his daughter could get no relief, and she asked him, Daddy, when will this leukemia go away? He answered, we don't know, darling. But we're going to do everything in our power to find an answer and, and cure it. And there was a long silence, and then she asked, have you asked God when the leukemia will go away? And her pastor, who was also her father, choked back the tears and sobbed, 
You know, darling, you know how we've prayed again and again for God to help us. But she persisted. Have you asked God when it will go away? What did he say? Claypool asked, how do you respond to such childlike directness at a time when the heavens seem utterly silent? There are times when there are no immediate answers. And a few hours later, John Claypool's daughter died. In spite of his heavy heart, he decided to preach the next Sunday. And that message recorded for posterity was one of the most moving sermons I've ever heard. I listened to it multiple times on a recording. And it was based on Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, that reads, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Dr. Claypool said, there are three stages of life represented in that passage. Sometimes we mount up with wings as an eagle and fly. We're on top of the world. Sometimes we run and don't grow weary. We perform the routine. But there are times when it's all we can do to just walk and not faint. And that's where I am today. I'm barely holding on to my faith. I need your prayers and assistance at a time like this, he said. At that moment, when Dr. John Claypool was at his weakest, he preached his most powerful sermon. Perhaps his greatest contribution to God's kingdom came during his darkest hour. The Apostle Paul pleaded repeatedly for God to remove this thorn in his flesh, but God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, this is the weekend that we traditionally celebrate as Palm Sunday weekend. It's sort of the official kickoff for Holy Week as we get ready for Easter. And anytime you think life is unfair, just look at the cross. It wasn't fair for the perfect Son of God to be nailed to that cross at the age of 33. It wasn't fair for him to suffer excruciating loneliness and pain, ridicule and scorn for me and you. It seemed that surely, surely evil was winning and God's people just couldn't see the point of it all. But three days later, they did. Three days later, Jesus arose from the grave to live in triumph. And that was the ultimate game changer. The power extended to us through the resurrection of Jesus means that we can walk and not faint. We can smile through the tears. Why? Because we know. We know a day is coming when by His resurrection power, we will rise up again like eagles. We will rise up again and we will fly. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the promise in your word that through your resurrection power, we can soar, as it were, on eagle's wings. 
Help us to learn today that while misery and trouble are a part of life, we don't have to succumb to it. We don't have to be ground down in defeat. Trouble is going to come, but misery is an optional thing. We can choose, we can choose to cast our anxieties on you. And so I just pray now for everyone listening that this would be a transforming moment, that for all of us, we would come to understand that because you live and because your resurrection power is accessible to us this very moment, we can actually learn to soar. Thank you that you lead your people as an eagle teaches its young to fly. May these be days when we're learning. May these be days when we're rising up and feeling the power that you alone can give. And we praise you and we thank you for the victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.